It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get rid. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, Torin. Microphone check, mic, mic, mic check. I know you feel good. Listen, they don't even know, but I know you smashed your keynote on yesterday. Tell me about that. Uh, awesome organization, uh, Midwest Association of College Employers, really focused on how to um, better recruit out of the university. And they had a huge focus on diversity this year. So snaps to them, um, made for a great experience for me, tough to not be able to do that kind of keynote in, in person, but well worth it, well received and very, very happy to have it under my belt. Why, why do you say tough? You know, and I just, you said snaps. I just lit a, I just lit a match. Uh, (laughs) that's my little fire for you right now. What, why'd you say it was tough? Uh, in those kind of keynotes, I really oh, wait a minute, on- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. It's absolutely important that you put clarity on that. I lit a match because I'm lighting a candle. I'm not doing anything different in my office. I just want you. <laughs> I, I was just gonna yeah, go past that and go. Yeah, I, I thought about that. I said we got to make sure we clean that up. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for lighting a match for my keynote. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I there. The goal is to create a strong emotional pull with the audience. And when you're on camera and you can't feel people yeah. um, and their engagement, it's tough. Uh, but I was happy with it and uh, rolled out a lot of new material that I've been testing a little bit here and there. So I feel like I got one. I can take it on the road. You don't test any of that stuff with me. I don't get to hear any of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, but I like that. You know, so what's your process for testing? Um, and actually I do test some of it with you. You just don't know. Oh. And sometimes I'll send you a text and ask you little like key nuances yes. and yes, things. I did do. that last week. Yes, you do. And, um, and so I'll, I'll start just kind of working into conversation and then my husband gets the brunt of it. He's a fantastic speaker. And so he has to hear me a lot and he, he really has made me a much better speaker than I ever thought I would be. So I'm going to share something with you. I'm actually standing up. I'm moving away from the mic. Uh, so I have uh, little sticky notes on uh, on a wall uh, left of my computer. And on one of the sticky notes, this is just like random. One of the sticky notes that says freedom. I'm willing to ask the questions that that matter. I don't have all the answers, but... I don't even know my own writing. Oh, but neither do they. So, which is why we stand right here. So, so I, I test mine a little bit differently. You know, I, I think of things, it it could be two in the morning. It could be while I'm driving, I'll send myself a voice note and then I write it down on a sticky note and I throw it up on the wall and there's a little section of the wall with various thoughts, concepts, ideas, and then we kind of like try to build them into into our presentation. So I love how you practice as well. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. But I really like that idea because I, I do have those spurts of genius, right? Absolutely. Just like I lost uh, last week's great story when I'm almost sleeping. Yep. And, uh, 
and, and that wall idea really I, I like that. And, that, and yeah. that's why you rock the mic when you uh, when you bring it every single time. I've enjoyed seeing you a couple times this week. And uh, it's fun to be back on the podcast together, too. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let me jump into this uh, a little kerfuffle down in uh, the state of Texas. You know, state of Texas, some interesting folks down there, man. And there's some beautiful people in Texas. Like, I lived there for five years. Uh, have some history there, have, uh, you know, from the military, great friends, um, certainly have some great friends now in the uh, HRTA, EBRM, you know, RPO, staff, all, I mean, all of those acronym communities, great people in Texas. But boy, let me tell you, you got some folks down there that need some prayer. You understand what I'm saying? They like, they need somebody to put a hand on them, a healing hand, you know, like to put some of that healing oil or something on the back of their neck, something. They need some folks to help them out. So so did you hear about uh, what was happening with the state bar president, uh, the, the Texas state bar president? Did you hear what he did? Yeah. 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 And I, I'll let you introduce it, but I'm going to go ahead and say that he needs a kick in the ass. Oh, he, kick in, so, he so, needs a kick in the ass. Like, so no you're oil, than I am. So no oil. Forget the oil on the back mm-hmm. of the neck. No, no hands of prayer, no hymnal, we, we, none of that. We just need to put a boot on them. Just put a boot on him. Put a boot on him. I got yeah. it. So yep. check it out, man. The state bar president uh, has made comments uh, in the past, comments around Black Lives Matter. Comments have been negative. Comments that have categorized them as being, you know, um, a terrorist group. And, and so recently uh, he went to... Uh, a polling station, and there was a woman, a polling clerk. I, I, I don't know the official title, but there was a polling clerk um, that was wearing a Black Lives Matter T-shirt. She also had on her face shield and a mask, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he made comments that basically said her wearing that Black Lives Matter T-shirt at a polling place was in effect electioneering that she was making a political statement and she was trying to sway the way that people people would vote and so i sat there and listened to that for it well while i read it for a moment and i took it in and shout out to tory palmer um for sharing the sharing the story with me he and his wife they listened to the podcast and you know they got the story up to me and put it on my radar and i said i would make some time to to research it. So, so I watched, I, I read a, a couple of articles. I watched the, uh, the hearing the state bar uh, association had, they had a Facebook live hearing and I watched pretty much all of that. 61 people spoke, 61 different attorneys spoke thousands of comments. Um, and I just found it interesting that you are the president of a legal organization that you should show up with some degree of deference to (laughs) social justice, injustice, uh, the climate that we are in around policing, and last but certainly not least, why we have Black Lives Matter. And, And for you to say that they're a terrorist group and to try to have this woman, um, I don't want to say he wanted to have her arrested, but certainly he was trying to do something to to diminish her ability to work as a poll worker. I just found that to be um, a, a bit disingenuous. And, and what I will say, Julie, is that the reason they had that Facebook meeting, that that 
uh, Facebook live meetings because they were voting uh, to see whether or not he should resign and step down. What do you think? So there, when I prepped for this, this particular conversation, and by the way, name dropped to Mrs. Palmer, who I did not know was a listener. Thanks for listening. Um, there, there are really kind of three things that I see at play. And the first one you already mentioned, right? What I think matters the most in this conversation in terms of his impact on racial justice and equity in the state of Texas is the nature of the racist post that he made on his personal Facebook, um, calling BLM terrorist organization, um, having a picture of a black man with a cop on his back that said, most justice happens before we get to the courtroom. Those are the, that that's the crux of the issue, right? Is the underlying overt racism that he practices every day in his personal life. And how does that impact his ability to um, lead the, the state bar of Texas? So that's one piece. Mm-hmm. The second piece is is a Black Lives Matter shirt political? And the answer is it should not be political, that as a human being, you should be aware of and capable of saying Black Lives Matter, comma, but the only Republican who, from a national level, that has said Black Lives Matter out loud is Mitt Romney of Utah. Yep. And so there is, it, one, it, it fucking sucks that that's political because it shouldn't be. So let me make sure that I'm, I'm being clear there. But the second piece is, is that if we all are agreeing on the premise that the shirt does more equally represent, more dramatically represent the Democratic Party versus the other one, then we could make the assumption that it is a political shirt for his purposes. And when you are working at the poll or you go to vote, you cannot wear a political shirt. Um, And so what I found problematic was the base racism. Second is the fact that it's a political statement at all. And then the third fact is that he did aggressively take a stance against her in her post, but he did answer what I think is probably a legally correct question to be asking. Which was what? If that makes sense. Which was what? Was she wearing a political shirt at a polling place? So so, so I, I think if I'm hearing you correctly, because of the slant of our political parties, let's say Black Lives Matter tends to be more associated with Democrats. Yes. Uh, Make America Great Again tends to be more associated with Republicans. Um, so you're saying that, in your opinion, you actually, are, are you saying that you feel like her shirt was political? So I think that her shirt is probably a political statement because of the nature of our politics at this time. Yeah, the atmosphere we're in. Yep. And so, like, last time I went and voted in 2016, I have this really great shirt that says, um, 
repeal and go fuck yourself mm. a a take on repeal and replace yep. um for for obamacare and while it's not an overtly political shirt in terms of it doesn't say republicans say go fuck yourself it it does carry the nuance of political politicalization and so I think there is a, a very important kind of precedent that we set as Americans that when you enter that polling location, everything must be neutral to maintain no intimidation, no suppression of the vote, all of those things that we hold dear to our democracy. And so, unfortunately, I think that he was probably correct legally. You can't wear a MAGA hat inside a polling station. You probably should not, until we get our brains back in the GOP, be able to wear a, a BLM shirt as much as I support that organization because yeah. I would not want it to happen on the other side. Yeah, I know. And see, and I know exactly where you're coming from. But I think the difference be, being that the MAGA hat came from the political party itself. It came from... Fair the individual that is running for the office. And so it was introduced to everyone as a political statement. It was a slogan, the campaign, you know, uh, core of True. the campaign in which they stood on. And so I, I just, I, I tend to see it a little bit differently. I tend to see the Black Lives Matter shirt just as, uh, you know, wearing a do good, be kind shirt. Shout out to our guy, Christopher Kurtz. You know, just... I, I see it as being just it, it's a part of 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 our ecosystem now and and that I think people should be able to I think people should be able to wear whatever it is that they want to wear um, to to a polling place. Now, I didn't know I, I'm learning like in this moment with you. I didn't know that you that there were certain things that you couldn't wear, because I mean, I think about it from the standpoint of when I pull up at a polling place. You, I mean, that's all you see. You see the signs, you see the folks. Of course, they have to be a certain distance from the door or whatever the case may be, but we see all of that. Uh, and so I don't really see any intimidation, you know, when I walk inside to to cast my vote, whether they're wearing, you know, a MAGA hat or not. And quite frankly, I never really paid any attention to it. I just simply go in, you know, vote, do what it is that I do. And, you know, I notice people wearing uh, camouflage vests and hats and boots. And I see bikers come through and, you know, my polling place is crazy. Um, so yeah, but so it, it's an interesting perspective. I, I think part of the reason why I brought it up is again, thinking about the sensitivity of the time that we are in, mm -hmm. uh, the protests that are happening, uh, in cities all across the country, international, globally, even, uh, I also think about the fact that, uh, this guy, he, he put forth three different apologies. Uh, we won't get into any of the apologies. Uh, we'll put a link out. But, yep. but he did talk about, Julian, you'll find this to be interesting. He did talk about setting up a diversity task force uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh... And, and let me tell you what, let me tell you what really the reason I, I, I bring this up. And, and it's not something we got to talk long about, but it's problematic and it's emblematic of what a lot of organizations do. Yep. So first and foremost, it's 15 people task force with a budget of $2,500. Ooh, going to make it far there. $2,500. Yeah. Now here's what's worse. They're picking up on findings 
from 2007. So how is it that uh, equity and inclusion, representation, all of the things that we care about here on Crazy and the King, how is it that you can you can begin to do some work in this regard 13 years ago and then uh, give up a budget, um, you know, $2,500. What is, what is the, the task force supposed to really be able to uncover? That's right. the question. And so I don't expect, it's rhetorical. I don't have an answer for it. Yep. But I think that too many organizations when they go out and say that DNI is important to them, that they don't have an answer for it. And part of the reason so many of them struggle is because they they lack the commitment, both in terms mm-hmm. of headcount and financial resources, the allocation of resources. And so if you're listening and you're in an organization, I really hope that uh, your team, the people that are curating your first step, your second step, how you advance this mission. I hope that they are serious about how they are allocating the budget and what they want to get accomplished over a said period of time. That That's the reason I brought it up. Yeah, no. And, and I want to be clear that I absolutely think this guy should have been tossed more so because of the overt racism on his personal page. Yeah. And his approach to the poll worker, not for answering the legal question, which I think came out as like the the basis of where we were going. I, I think that he had enough underlying terrible behavior to have him step down without that question. So I know you have another great quick story on Nike. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, real simple. You know, we talked about Nike uh, last week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, because they had some issues with their Instagram page and someone apparently took it down. Folks inside of Nike said that they didn't do it. But again, their Instagram or one of the Instagram pages for uh, Nike was taken down. And I think that this was a page that was primarily being used by individuals to talk about their experiences, uh, the black experience inside of the Nike organization. And so this week it was announced that Nike's first chief diversity officer was stepping down after two years in the role. Her name is Kelly Leonard. Uh, She's walking away and Felicia Mayo is going to take over. Now, Felicia is not new to the organization. She she actually joined Nike uh, after working with Tesla. And she joined the organization last year. She's going to have a slightly different title, Julie. Not that the work is going to change, but they're going to call her the chief talent, diversity, and culture officer. And I suspect <clears throat> I suspect that that culture piece is very much so connected to um, the challenges that Nike had back in 2018 when um, that envelope of, of comments from women were dropped on Mark Palmer's desk and, you know, it was a big issue and they lost a lot of talented individuals. They lost a friend. Um, I'll just say that, you know, they lost a friend, a really, really good brother uh, who was who was in the organization. And he, you know, by all accounts, had nothing to do with the things that were happening to the women, but it's because he kept silence. And we've talked about this on uh, previous episodes of Crazy and the King. But because he didn't say anything, that good brother walked away from a very, very robust opportunity within 
uh, the Nike organization. So I'm rooting for, you know, Miss Felicia Mayo, hoping that she is able to to turn some things around and continue to push uh, the work that, you know, myself and some of the others have done in working with the organization. Last thing that I'll say about it is uh, John Donahoe, the CEO of Nike, he actually just took the helm in January of this year. What a year to, to become a CEO of such an organization. He, he says, what I have learned, quote, what I have learned is that many have felt a disconnect between our external brand and internal experience. And so John Donahoe is hoping and betting on Felicia Mayo, and so am I. Let's talk ADA. Yeah, so we had a big anniversary over the weekend, actually, on Sunday the 26th was the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah. And uh, kind of just in celebrating that and and thinking it over this weekend, I found a couple of really interesting things. Um, one is that, and this is me always learning, uh, last month was Minority Mental Health Month in June. Uh, that's not something that has hit my radar before. And so uh, the good people over at NAMI, which is um, one of the leading mental health organizations in this country, did a fantastic awareness video on minority mental health and awareness. And uh, I'm going to post that in the show notes, but also on our Facebook page because it's got some fantastic videos that we definitely want to read. And, um, and the way that I came about this actually is Google put out a blog uh, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday about some of the search trends that they're seeing, which they do all the time. But these were specifically related to disability. Let me, let me real quick. When you say Google put something out, did they put out an actual blog post or was it in, you know, when you go to the Google page and you click on the Google Doodle or whatever it's called? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it was a Google Doodle, but it is definitely a, a blog page. Okay, um, got it. That's okay. out. And for black mental health or minority mental health, um, we actually saw some of the all-time hits in terms of searches um, in June and July really focused on mental health for, um, in particular, black Americans. Okay. And so that, that was really positive. One, because we talk about all the time the intersection of race, gender, sexual orientation and disability. And, you know, I have sometimes had a hard time starting conversations with other diversity groups um, who feel like disability is trying to take over. And really what we're trying to say is, hey, we're a part of you and we want to be here to support you as well um, and, and help raise that, that bottom up. And it, you know, mental health is a huge issue in in the Black community and communities of color, which have a lot a lot excuse me a lot less access to mental health services than white people do. And so, just from a hey, let's put that on our calendar for next year mental calendar. Um, we're going to do something on Crazy and the King to celebrate Minority Mental Health Month in June of 2021, um, but also just affirmatively knowing that what we're seeing out of Google in terms of search is that intersection is starting to get some traction and people are starting to do some searching around it. And in terms of general disability, 
the company highlighted the word ableism, right? We've talked about that before, which is the belief system that an able body is superior to a disabled body. Yeah. And the term ableist language as one of its top searches for 2020 so far. Boom. Ah, boom. Right. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? I think that there has been so much work around civil rights for people with disabilities, the fights that were out front when the changes to Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act um, were being protested and you saw people in wheelchairs and who were very physically disabled um, being carried out by Capitol Police. I think that started it and has carried into Crip Camp, um, which had huge search results this year. And, and so it's it's really this, for me, an affirmation that all of the talking and the a- activism and the advocacy that we've been doing, you know, me personally for the last 10 years is starting to come forward and it's starting to be recognized as we continue to move forward on our civil rights journey. Um, a-, a couple of other interesting stats that I, I think really just made me smile Um is global searches for disability pride events was at an all-time high for 2020, especially in the UK. So thanks, guys. Yep. And um, you in the United States, people were actually searching for sign language, so American sign language, at a rate of two and a half times more than programming languages in the last month. Now, that's very interesting. Yeah, that one blew me away. Because first and foremost, you know, learning sign language is, um, I, I, you know, I think that that could probably be a fun experience, like really being able to, to communicate in that particular way. And I'm always fascinated when I see a person delivering uh, and working through sign language, the rapidness in which they can convey. Uh, their message. It, it's always been fascinating for me. And and so while I think it may be a bit of a challenge, you know, again, because it's something new, uh, I think it could be fun. But to see or to hear you say that searching for that on Google, more than learning Ruby and some of the other programming languages, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, ableism and ableist language is apparently going to just continue to be a hot topic. And uh, we all need to learn more sign language. I know my alphabet in a couple words. Um, and, and, you know, just kind of wrapping up our celebration of the ADA, I think that it's also really important to talk about what the ADA has done in terms of, of changing the United States and, and frankly, the world as it is the example legislation um, used around the world for equal access for people with disabilities, but also what it has not done yet and, and where we still need to go. And so, the, you know, the really, the first thing that when anyone thinks of the ADA is physical access, right? Curb cutouts, doors that have, or doors that are wide enough for wheelchairs, ramps, access to transportation and services. And that has been 
I think, the biggest impact of the ADA, right? It changed the way buildings were made. It changed the way construction happened. And it fundamentally allowed for people to have access. And it also allowed... And the other thing, but the other thing to think about that, you know, to add on to that, Julie, is it's not just the individuals that are operating or moving through life uh, differently able that are benefiting from it. You know, you got regular folks that enjoy when they're jogging or running or even just walking uh, up a sidewalk that they don't have to step over a curve, they will use the cutout portion of the sidewalk. You have individuals that will walk up the ramp versus walking up the steps. Um, So think about when you have a bit of an injury, it might be easier to do it that way. And so it really is important for us to just kind of edify the fact that when we make these advancements, I I was, and I'm going to shout her out a little bit later in the show, um, you know, but Rachel was talking on a, uh, a panel that I, I, I was moderating and she said, you know, she loves to shout into her remote control and have mm-hmm. her remote control to change the channel. She says, but that wasn't built for me. I'm abled. That was mm-hmm. built for someone who couldn't see perhaps the buttons on their remote control or access the functionality by pushing and they had to use voice recognition. So I, I don't want it to be missed on people that, uh, a lot of what we have seen in terms of some of these advancements, we're benefiting from them as well. Yeah. And that's that's a great point, because when you build for the atypical body, right, the, the, the body with a disability, the mind with a disability, you build a better experience for everyone, right? Everyone. Stairs don't work for the entirety. A ramp works for everyone. Everyone. And when, we think about how we build things, right? Not just buildings, but systems and services and solutions. We should be thinking with that approach versus the typical approach. Because the reality is, is that most of us are not as typical as we would like to think that we are. Or we're going to grow into a place where we need those services too, and we haven't advocated to have them. Another huge piece of of impact that the ADA has made is around services, right? So it's deinstitutionalization. We've seen a massive shift from institutionalizing people with disabilities, um, regardless of the type of disability, into community-based living, community-based services. And part of that is because of access, but a lot of it also has to do with the civil rights demands for inclusion for medical care and needs within the community versus that institutionalized setting. And the ADA set the the tone for that. And it's increased anti-discrimination and civil rights protections. We've certainly, we've seen individuals... um, increase their ability to make decisions on their own behalf, although we still have a long way to go, um, to marry, to to be a part of the community, which is incredibly important. And one thing that I said at, at the keynote this week is that where we have not made an impact and where I want all of our listeners to help us make that impact is that the ADA has not significantly impacted the unemployment rate for people with disabilities in 30 years. Yeah. I was having that conversation with Zach from Living Corporate. You can, you know, find him over at living-corporate.com. His 
uh, conversation with me is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I love Zach. I love the work that he's doing over there. But, you know, he, he raised the conversation and, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically, you know, that that black and brown people, you know, tend to be the ones receiving the short end of the stick. And I said, ah, if we're going to have an honest conversation, you know, when we think about this workplace, people with disabilities have always and I'm not talking about those. You, you know what I mean when I say people with disabilities, those that truly could be inside of the workplace. Yes. They, I believe, have gotten an even worse end of the stick. And, and I don't I don't like to say that often because I don't want people feeling as if we are comparing or prioritizing um, one another's disadvantage because we're all losing. You know, we're mm-hmm. all being impacted. But I just thought it would... I thought it was appropriate that we were honest that this audience, this group has been severely ignored. And and when you say 30 years, I say even longer. Yeah. And, and the, to take that one step further, people of color with disabilities, women of color with disabilities are even further impacted. And so that's where that intersection and that, that allyship together becomes even more significantly, significantly important and so, you know, we, we still have a long way to go. We're at roughly 18% unemployment rate for people with disabilities right now, um, even with an incredibly low labor participation rate of able-bodied or of capable-bodied people who have disabilities who can be in the workplace, but we have not built that world for them yet. And, you know, just in, in wrapping, I think that the other piece of legislation that does not get nearly the attention and probably has been nearly as impactful is the IDEA Act, which was passed in, I believe, the mid-90s, if I remember correctly. But it was the legislation that changed access to a public school education for people with disabilities. And that is critically important to create a place where we can actually have professionals with disabilities, professionals who are getting an education before, because before that, a public school education was not a right of a disabled child. Yeah, yeah, definitely catching the short end of the stick. Uh, and we saw a lot of that when we when we covered Crip Camp, uh, the documentary, and certainly in some of my ensuing research, you know, again, just had no idea how much of a disadvantage. And now, you know, and that's important that you kind of end on that note, Julie, because when we think about where we are right now in COVID, coming out of COVID, uh, you know, families having to figure out, maneuver how they're going to educate their child. um, This audience is going to, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly afraid for what might happen with a lot of the young people, children, that have disabilities, whether it be a learning disability, a physical disability, an unseen disability, what that experience is going to be like for them when school begins in the next several weeks. I am absolutely concerned uh, how much they may suffer because a lot of these uh, counties, municipalities, cities, areas are not prepared to give them long-term uh, dedication, dedication and education. Yeah. And and it's another just great example of planning for the, the masses at the, 
at the punishment or, or the, the detriment of the outliers. Yep. And that doesn't just include kids with disabilities. It includes kids who rely on um, public, you know, schools for food and for um, a safe place to escape an abusive home. There are so many kids that are going to be impacted and people, kids with disabilities are going to be a huge part of that. But we need to think more holistically about how we're addressing these kind of issues in our, our society. And it is going to be a scary time and a sad time um, as we think about how that impacts. But we've got to raise those those voices now so that we can continue to have this conversation. Which is the reason why we continue to do Crazy in the King. We make sure that we share the show notes and put links in for you. We don't do that just because uh, we do it as part, you know, so that you can continue to go behind us and deepen your education, your experience with the information, but more importantly, that you will take the links and that you will share them with your social tribe. We're not trying to curate, you know, how you get busy on social media, but we really are doing it. We're on a mission. And so we know that moving these types of conversations forward will require all of us to do it, not just people with disabilities in this instance, but all of us having some degree of empathy and uh, concerned for uh, this part of humanity. Julie, thank you so much. I appreciate you highlighting uh, ADA and its 30th year anniversary and certainly our doing something uh, monumental next year. We got 12 months to plan. So listen, I want to do a name drop with uh, Rachel Williams from X and Tahida Shakir from Conxis. Uh, I can't pronounce her, her organization right, but it's uh, on Twitter at C-O-N-X-S-I-X. Again, Tahita Shakir at C-O-N-X-S-I-S on Twitter and uh, Rachel Williams from X. She's at Hey Miss Rachel. Hey Miss Rachel. Those two were incredible uh, at the SRSC conference. And then I also want to shout out Allison Cruz, who just this week was uh, installed as global head of EB with Baxter International. Allison is an incredible individual. She is committed fiercely committed to the employer branding space, happy that she found a new home. And my name drop for this week is just to the ladies over at Midwest Ace who have done a phenomenal job doing what a lot of people are getting really good at, which is putting on a meaningful and impactful conference and appreciate their focus on disability. Nobody's putting us on the main stage yet, and that's where we need to be. So Thank you, ladies, for that opportunity to be on the main stage and uh, look forward to um, supporting you all as you grow your DNI plans at universities Absolutely. across the country. Absolutely. I mean, you can't say it any better than that, Julie. And it has been uh, my mantra when, when folks reach out DNI should be a conversation from the main stage. Do not relegate us to that corner room where 12 people can fit in. We need to be in the main room put everybody in that joint, lock the doors, leave the fire exits open, but lock the doors so that they can learn what it is that we are trying to get them to learn. Julie and I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Find your voice inside of your workplace. Just be a better human. Have an awesome remaining rest of the week. You can find Julie on all of social media at Julie Sowash, certainly on Twitter at Julie Sowash, J-U-L-I-E, S-O-W-A-S-H and you can find me at Torin Ellis. You can also catch me on Sirius XM channel 126 1pm on Sundays for now. Jay and I are ghosts. 
See ya! Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.